1: In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 2 through 5.
0: For of old have I broken thy yoke and burst thy bands. That is, he delivered them from Egypt, right? And thou sayest, I will not transgress. That's a reference to Sinai when the law was given, and Israel said, hey, we'd keep it. When upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. Now, this will become more vivid if you have background in the Canaanite worship, which was basically um, uh, uh, preoccupied with sex and fertility rites, typically practiced on hills and typically practiced in what's called groves. All through the Old Testament, you'll find reference to the groves. And it's just uh, 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 don't just visualize a group of trees these are typically carved to become phallic symbols it's also why you'll find in in the torah that you never god never wants his altars built near the groves you never want trees near the altar they're always to be separate and that uh, the concept of the groves and the trees and the hilltops is suggestive the more you know about the canaanite worship system what he's saying is, um, here he delivers them, he broke their yoke, took care of them, and they said they would, not, they would keep his laws, and then end up on every high hill, under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. You wouldn't get the overtone of that unless you recognize the, that the uh, hilltops and trees were the location of these Canaanite uh, fertility rites that had taken over the land. See, bear in mind, now see, Judaism is, is dead. They're idol-worshipping. One of the great things that happens is that they discover a copy of the law. Book of Deuteronomy in the temple. Now, what state was the temple in if they stumble going through some storeroom? A copy of the law. Wow, isn't this neat? Hey, have you seen this thing? Wow, big deal. It becomes a national event. And it was part of their uh, the revival. Verse 21, Yet I planted thee a noble vine, Holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? It's graphic enough. Can't add to that. Verse 32. For though thou wash thee with lye and take thee much soap, yet thy iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. There's two kinds. A natron or soda is a mineral alkali, and uh, the other one is a vegetable alkali, but both of them are forms the strongest cleansing agents that they would use industrially or domestically in their in their uh, economy. And you can't scrub off sin with soap. It has to be washed off with blood. In the Levitical sense, as a token, a prophetic token of Jesus Christ, of course, they have the Levitical washings, the sacrifice of blood. But what's it pointing to? The blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins and mine's. Can be, we can be washed clean, washed white as snow, though your sins be as scarlet. Strange idiom, because you think of sin as dirt, but your sins be as scarlet. Isaiah says, they shall be white as wool. Huh? How? By being washed, how? By the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. Though For though thou wash thee with lye and would take thee much soap, yet that iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. How canst thou say, I am not polluted, I have not gone after Balaam? See thy way in the valley. How uh, know what thou hast done? Thou art a swift dromedary, dromedary, traversing her ways. And the idiom here, by most scholars, is in the in the form of a um, female camel in heat. And when they are, they go, they go quite berserk, and they run around looking for a male. And that's you know, you and I don't generally traffic with a you know, we're not conversant with the behavior. Uh, 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 antics of a, of a camel, but uh, uh, that is, in fact, uh, the, generally the, the, the insight here is that a camel, when it's in heat, uh, is, becomes um, unmanageable. And the analogy is you, thou art a swift dromedary, traversing her ways, a wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up uh, the wind at her pleasure. In her, in her occasion, who can turn her away? All they that seek her will not weary themselves. In In her month they shall find her. Withhold thy foot from being unshod, and thy throat from thirst. But thou saidst, There is no hope, no, for I have loved strangers, and after them will I go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets. Now I'll pause here to get a couple of things. The whole idiom here is one of rampant, unbridled lust. Going running around whoring themselves rather than staying with the God of their fathers. And they love strangers. That is, they're they're literally just being prostitutes. And of course he's speak speaking literally as well as as well as spiritually, but the concern, of course, is principally spiritually. And verse twenty six, as the thief is ashamed when he is found. There's a difference between being embarrassed when you're caught. You know, you're in the middle of the night and you're going through this apartment and you open the dresser drawer and you're about to, and the lights go on the place are there. Boy, are you embarrassed. You're not embarrassed because you're a thief. You're embarrassed because you got caught. Right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, as a thief is ashamed when he is found. This is something isn't this is something somebody was ashamed because he's a thief. You know? So is the house of Israel ashamed? Why? Because they're caught by God. That's what he's really effect saying. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, saying to a tree, "Thou art my father," or to a stone, "Thou hast brought me forth." For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, "Arise and save us." It's God speaking. You almost, on the one hand, you can sense the feeling, the caring. On the other hand, you can sense what sounds, I can't think of the right word. Sarcasm isn't quite the right word, but it comes close. It's certainly, um, you know, uh, it's facetious. It's ridiculous. But that is their predicament. Their predicament is so unthinkable, so absurd that it, that it is ridiculous. That's his point, saying to a tree, thou art my father. Saying to a stone, Thou hast brought me forth. Is our society any different? Saying to the slime in the pond, Hey, that's where I came from? <laughs> Going to the zoo and looking at the monkeys with a sense of ancestry.
1: <laughs>
0: Is that any ridiculous? We look at this, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and we're no different. We're no different. But in the time of their trouble, it doesn't say if there'll be a time of trouble. Just in the time of their trouble. It's coming. Right? They will say, arise and save us. Sure. But where are thy gods that thou hast made? Let them arise if they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. you got lots of gods. When you're in trouble, you call on them. Don't call on me. You had your chance. Call on them to save you. Sounds like Elijah at Mount Carmel, doesn't it? Verse 29. Why will ye plead with me? Ye all have transgressed against me, saith the Lord. In vain have I smitten your children. They received no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel? a land of darkness? Why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more unto thee. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Interesting view. God expected Israel to use him as an ornament. God was intending to be an item of identity, of beauty, of relationship. They've forgotten God, right? And he's saying, Can a maid forget her ornaments? Very popular among uh, women of that geography to place a lot of store in bracelets and or You still see that in the cultures today, particularly in the Little Way. Well, you see it everywhere, I guess, but you know, at Hardstrom's or anywhere else. But, but I'm thinking, <laughs> In the, in, the, in, the, in the Middle East, you see that particularly. There's a heavy emphasis, all kinds of subtleties, rank and other things are, are suggested by the jewelry and so forth. And uh, he's saying, can a maid forget her ornaments? That's kind of unlikely, in other words, a, that's the concept, very unlikely. <laughs> or a bride, her attire, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. He's expecting to be in the role of an ornament, jewelry an item of adornment. Is God your item of adornment? Do you wear God on your person as something you're proud of? Or do we now and then, when we really get up our nerve, witness to somebody at work carefully so we're not overheard? Wouldn't want to come on kind of weird, you know? I've been telling you that, sort of watching my time so I won't come across as a nut. I don't know, most of you say it doesn't help. I I'm, well. Or do we wear our relationship with Him with the pride that we would wear a badge, a medal, uh, uh, an item of adornment? sounds strange, doesn't it? We don't talk in those terms, and yet that's what uh, is the underlying uh, uh, thought here. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet thou sayest, Because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. Why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou wast ashamed of Assyria. Yet thou shalt go forth from him, and thy hands upon thy head, and the Lord hath rejected thy confidences, and thou shalt not prosper in them. Thou shalt go forth from him, thy hands upon thy head. I wonder what that means. Does that mean they're going to be taken captive? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, it's going to get more explicit as we go here. All the way through here, through the last, especially the last four verses, what the other underlying thought here reminds us, as the Lord reminds us, how easy it is to justify ourselves. How easy it is, is to never, never, never underestimate the capacity of the human being to rationalize. Uh, just unbelievable. Boy, could I talk on some of that recently? I've seen Christian brothers guilty of embezzlement, larceny, theft, breach of fiduciary duty, and that's that's, that's surprise enough. The, the the posture that they've done nothing wrong, Ra- elaborate rationalizations that exp- they would presume to explain those things, just tragic, a shock, a shame. And I'm sure that's I'm sure all of us. Arguably, the same things—mechanisms to rationalize our conduct—that if we really put ourselves in the light of His Word, recognize it. Hey, it's sin. Let's call it by its name and ask His forgiveness. That's the remedy: to acknowledge it, repent of it, and uh, ask His forgiveness. Chapter three. Just continuing. They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return to unto her again? Now, what you don't realize here, because there's a little background you ought to have, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, first four verses, it forbids a man who divorces, and if the uh, if his wife that he divorced gets married again, and then becomes available again, he is forbidden to remarry her, even if her uh, husband dies. In other words, if he divorces, the wife marries somebody else, and the other say say she's widowed, um, it expressly forbids a man to remarry uh, someone that he's divorced. That was the mosaic concept. It was partly, probably, to make the original divorce a little more serious. Hey, you know, vote now because you're not gonna get another chance you know she's gone so uh, that's um now there is an exception to that like everything these things get complicated if the wife was removed from the guy initially forcibly then it's okay and that apparently shows up in second samuel 3 it has to do with david and michael second samuel 3 verses 14 through 16. and all of these rules have exceptions and I always love to use Ruth as an example. She's a Moabitess. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, it forbids um, you know, a relationship with a Moabitess. But, of course, here's Ruth, a Moabitess, who becomes not only accepted in Israel, but becomes, um, you know, uh, the, the grandparent, if you will, of David and, and our Lord himself. So, so um, there's always exceptions to the law. Grace can go beyond the law. And that's exactly what Ruth is supposed to be a type of. Grace. She's also a Gentile bride, and there's a whole thing, but that's another thing. Um, so these things do have exceptions, but part part of understanding the thrust of this prophet is to to try to be a little Jewish, try to uh, know enough about the Torah to recognize that he's arguing from that background. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return to her again? Implying that you know the 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 second husband is 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 uh, you know no longer out. Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is he himself is in effect overriding that rule because he's in other passages he not only treats Israel uh, or Judah as a as a as a divorced wife. He says, I even use the expression, "I give you a bill of divorcement. You're divorced." That's what Hosea deals with. And yet he's saying, hey, if you come back to me, I will receive you. Which is contrary to the concept of the Mosaic law. But he's saying right here, see. return again unto me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not lain with, been lain with. That's sort of a challenge. Find a spot that you haven't polluted. In the ways hast, in the ways, in the ways hast thou sat for them... As the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy harlotry and with thy wickedness; therefore the showers have been withheld, and there hath been no latter rain. And thou hast a harlot's forehead; thou refusest to be ashamed. In other words, there's a a uh, impertinence, impertinence, and a, a fourth And yet he also links, by the way, the. The uh, drought that they have is withholding the rain to their sin. That's a dangerous line of reasoning because that means anytime you do have rain, does that mean there's sin at the cause? You got to watch out for that one. But, but on the other hand, here he expressly points out that he's withheld the showers. There hath been no latter rain. Okay, because of their, har- their harlotries. Wilt thou not, from this time, cry unto me, my Father? Thou art the guide of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldst." Done evil things as you could. In other words, you've done as bad as you could. Oh, by the way, a couple of small things. Back here in verse 4, from, uh, while, um, from this time crying, My father, thou art the guide of my youth. The word ab for the father is actually, while it's translated father, it's the kind of word that a young wife might use of her husband. Okay. In contrast to alap, which is a uh, a husband or companion, but really can be translated friend, there's a different term in there. Um, Anyway, verse six. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king. See that against time that gives us some reference. But one of the problems we're gonna have later in the book is there's some ambiguity as to exactly where the pieces fit. They're not necessarily in 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 a and then agreed-upon order. There's, there are fragments, and, and, and there's a lot of controversy exactly what order. But here we're in pretty good shape, because right here it even says, The Lord said unto me, In the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain, and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she would return not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. See, he's treating Israel in the north and Judah in the south as two, as if they're two sisters, right? And the northern group has gone upon every high mountain and every green tree. Now, see, if you that's the kind of phrase that if you just read that, you wonder, what's wrong with that? Well, the, the, the connotation is is the idolatry. And there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she turned turn not. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. Had I saw, and when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also." He's going to make the case that Judah is in worse shape than Israel, because Judah should have had the benefit of observing the destiny of Israel. Okay? Verse 9, it came to pass through the lightness of her harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with trees. Yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with, our, with her whole heart, but feignedly said the Lord. What you're going to find here all the way through here is that there is some pretense of, of faith. But you're going to draw an analogy before we're through, or you should, with Revelation chapter 3, the seven letter seven churches. The the letter to Laodicea, he always, where he says, "I would that you were cold or hot." He can deal with that, but they're lukewarm. He says, "I'll spew thee out of my mouth," and that's exactly what's wrong with Judah. They're not even honest in their backsliding. They're not even honest in terms of their idolatry. They sort of go through the motions as if they're okay. It's, it's you know, it's just, it's phony. Had not turned unto me with their whole heart, but faintedly. They're, they're, it's hypocritical. Verse 11, The Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. Now see, as Jeremiah is preaching this to Judah, it's got to scare them, or it should scare them. It really won't, but it should scare them, because they they know that Israel fell into judgment because of her adultery. Here, here's Judah being compared and made worse. See, that... Um, Backsliding Israel is justified more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city or two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to mine heart, who shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. The word shepherds there, by the way, is a term meaning leaders, not just shepherds like shepherds and flocks. That's the term, but it connotatively that was the term they used for leadership. And it shall come to pass when ye are multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they miss it, neither shall that be done anymore. Whew! You might mark down verse 16 of chapter 3. Remember John 3.16? 3, Jeremiah 3.16. Interesting thing, when you really want to get into some, some discussions about um, Wendell Jones and the search for the ark, one of the problems—and we can talk a little bit about this, I guess, because it's probably time to answer a few comments here—is um, that according to Jeremiah, there will be no ark. The ark of covenant is gone, and there's all these people looking for the ark. And they base their search on a passage in 2 Maccabees. There are some books between the, test, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're apocryphal books. That is, they're not part of the Hebrew canon. And most of them really are not worth... It's a lot of them, just cultural background, maybe. Except the First and Second book of Maccabees, which is still not part of the Hebrew canon, but does include a lot of history that many scholars feel is very valuable. And in the... Uh, in 2 Maccabees chapter 2, verse 48, it makes reference to a it's a story that, that some other scholars put no credence on, is that the Ark of the Covenant was hidden, I think, I think by Jeremiah in some cave. And people are tearing up half of Jordan looking for this cave. And uh, and don't misunderstand, there's different there's different schools of thought, but there's one school of thought, and it's a very comfortable school of thought from a scriptural point of view. It leads on this verse. And it says it ain't gonna show up anymore. Now, um, this is sort of a preview. What's coming here uh, is a preview of chapter 31. When we get to chapter 31 of Jeremiah, we're going to make a lot of discoveries. The New Testament is going to just surface there. And it's, it's a, it, this, is a, this here is a demonstration. Verse 16 already. We have a declaration which proves, or should have proved to their people, that the old economy is going to be dissolved. The whole concept of Judaism from the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the whole Levitical system, it's going to be dissolved because that whole thing was built on the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and how God dwelt between the cherubims, and that's where the high priest spread the blood on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Once, Only once a year could he go into the Holy of Holies. No one else could ever go in there, only the high priest, only that one day, and only with a great ceremony, that whole routine. The whole thing makes up the Torah, it's going to be dissolved. This is is the hint of us. We're going to hear more about it later in in Jeremiah.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store and search K House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.